Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Well, happy Thursday and welcome to the Success Design with Beth Shankle Anderson. I am your host. I'm Beth Shankle Anderson and it is a privilege to come to you today. I hope you're having a great week. I've been off the air for about um, a month now enjoying my uh, summer vacation, but uh, I'm ready to uh, get back in the swing of things and interview some great guests. And today's uh, guest is absolutely no exception. He is um, a Ph.D., his name is Eric Romero. He has a Ph.D. in management from New, New Mexico State University. He is an expert in the field of unconventional leadership, culture, strategy, innovation, and a competitive advantage. He is the author of Compete Outside the Box, The Unconventional Way to Beat the Competition. So welcome, Eric. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. I'm excited to have you. I really was interested in your topic. Um, you call yourself unconventional, and um, that's what we're all about here on the Success Design, is designing your life in a way that um, that suits you. And it may be unconventional, but that's you know that's great. That means that you're an individual. So um, why don't you start out by talking a little bit about um, your philosophy and what you'd like my listeners to know about you. Well, my whole philosophy when it comes to management and leadership is that you need to be different in a valuable way if you want to achieve competitive advantage and succeed in the long term in business. And the best way to do that is to do things that are not unconventional in terms of leadership and building a culture that is consistent with unconventional thinking. That's why I call the name of the book. The name of the book is Compete Outside the Box, and that's also my website, CompeteOutsideTheBox.com, because my view is that if you think outside the box, then you can compete outside the box. And so that's that's my overall approach: is that you want to be different. Because if you're just like everybody else, then you can't possibly be able to do anything different. And if you don't do anything different, then you can't have competitive advantage. That's a, a basic requirement, yet what most people do is they do what everybody else does. So that's overall my management philosophy in a, in the broadest terms. And why should managers themselves become unconventional leaders? Well, the reason is that that's the path to innovation. If you are able to think outside the box, then that means that you're more willing to try new things, new ideas, learn from your mistakes, and even encourage others to try new things that might not work out, which is a learning opportunity. And therefore, that's the raw material for innovation. So an unconventional leader creates an environment where creativity, flexibility, and risk-taking are the norm, which leads to innovation and beating the competition. So companies like Cirque du Soleil, Apple, 
the Virgin Group, a whole bunch of different companies that are part part of the Virgin Group, uh, headed by Richard Branson. So a lot of examples. Zappos, the online shoe retailer that was recently acquired by Amazon. So there are a lot of examples of companies that oftentimes come out of left field, and they come out of, and it seems like they come out of left field, and actually they do because they're doing something that's totally different. Now, being different doesn't mean that you're innovating. It has to be different and valuable. So Apple is a good example of that. Cirque du Soleil is a good example of that. Southwest Airlines is another good example. So you can find this in many different fields. And this concept of unconventional leadership is so powerful that it transcends typical for-profit organizations. It also works in non-profit organizations. It also works in NGOs. It works in even governmental organizations. So it's it's a very powerful concept for creating innovation in an organization on a consistent basis. And speaking of Richard Branson, he is on the brand-new cover of Success Magazine this month. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and the the title is um I don't have it right in front of me but it's something like how this bad boy has created an empire based on um you know un- unconventional methods really right. and and I I encourage all my listeners to buy Success magazine even if it's just off your newsstand it's a tremendous magazine and I'm sure the article um, about Richard Branson will go along with what we're discussing today if you, if you go to my website, competeoutsidethebox.com, I have a page dedicated to to Richard to unconventional leaders to give people an idea of what it is by way of examples. And, and Richard Branson is one of those examples. And he's a perfect example of this out of left field. Not only do companies often come out of left field, but the people who run them or create them often come out of left field from very unexpected places. He's a really good example because here's a guy who doesn't have a college education, dropped out of high school, and he has dyslexia, and he's still able to think outside the box. Well, that's probably why he's able to think outside the box, at least the the lack of a formal education. And he's learned a lot from his mistakes and done things, taken risks, trying new things. Some of them worked. Some of them didn't. That's the way innovation works. And he's able he's been able to have a significant impact on a lot of different industries. So he's a really good example of the types of the type of people that more often than you might think become successful. The people that you would think he definitely would never be successful actually become successful. And they're overlooked by people who use conventional methods for selecting people for jobs, for investment and things of that nature. So the the unconventional thinking and unconventional leadership is a very powerful concept, not only for people who are starting companies like Richard Branson has or still does, but also for people that are in established companies that want to innovate. One of the things they have to do is try to find people who don't fit the mold in terms of experience, education, and things of and personality, et cetera. And that's one of the things I have on my website. I have free stuff. I have free st- a page just with some of my free articles, and I have an article on there called "Hooked on Experience" and how companies overlook people that are innovative because they're hooked on this idea of experience. Education mm. is the same thing. They just get hooked on this idea 
that people have to have an education. Now, obviously, for some jobs, you have to have it. A surgeon has to have an education, or a nuclear engineer has to have a particular education and knowledge. But when you're doing something creative, like in leadership, oftentimes the experience is not nearly as important as people make it out to be. So when you want to hire people to be innovative, oftentimes the experience actually gets in the way of them being innovative. So mm-hmm. oftentimes the most innovative people have almost no ex- no experience or very little experience in what they've become successful at. So they, the experience didn't predict their success, their ca- personality characteristics or what predicted their success or their work habits, their ability to work hard and be persistent was much more important than their experience because they learned along the way. Do you find that maybe experience um, may pigeonhole someone who is very creative They come into a job with a certain um, amount of experience in one area, but they, it sort of uh, prevents them from, from spreading their wings into other areas? Yeah. Conventional organizations are very effective at doing that. They they don't take full advantage they don't take full advantage of people's potential. So they say, Okay, this person has experience in let's say, I don't know, accounting. Okay, this is that's the only job this person can possibly do because that's the only thing they have experience at. They could be they have potential to do other things much better than accounting, but since they have experience in accounting, it's the only thing that they're gonna be able to do in a lot of organizations. They won't even consider uh, ch- changing that person to another job that they will be far more motivated to do. I have another article about how to match people to jobs that they found motivating. You really can't motivate people. You can only match people to activities and jobs that they find motivating. So mm-hmm. if this guy is not motivated to be an accountant and you keep on putting him in an accounting position, well, that's the only kind of job he can get then. You're not going to get the maximum performance from that person. So I would I would agree with you for sure that that is something that happens in a lot of organizations. How can people learn to think outside the box? I have uh, a lot of information about this in my book. The main thing is that the main thing I understand is that conventional thinking and conformity is a learned behavior. If you look at little kids or even kids who are just starting to talk and walk around, how creative they are in terms of the way they interact with the world, how they come up with amazing ideas, put ideas together that you would never imagine, particularly when they're playing. And they're just able to, they don't, they haven't learned all the things that adults think are impossible. So they're much more creative, open-minded, willing to take risks, make mistakes. These are the things that you want to relearn because over time, people in in every society, and it varies from society to society, that they've learned how to lose that that open mind, and they've become conventional by way of education and family and friends and other social groups. You can't do this. You can't say that. You can't think this, et cetera. So they become more closed-minded. They're not as open to new ideas, et cetera. So if you learn that, you can actually unlearn it. It won't be easy. It won't be something that you can do in a week, but something that you have to literally force yourself to do. And I give ideas that help help you started, help get you started in simple things that you do in daily life, like trying new food, trying new music, just forcing yourself to do this. And that becomes a foundation for you to progress 
along similar lines where you start doing this at work as well. So it can be unlearned, and if you do do that, then that's the first step. Thinking outside the box, learning to think unconventionally is the first step to becoming an unconventional leader. Hmm. And how can leaders support creativity and innovation both in themselves, I presume, and also um, within the people they manage? Well, the the most important thing that a leader can do, I think, is to create an organizational culture that supports the strategy. And since we're since we've been talking about innovation, the unconventional culture is consistent with innovation. So it leads to creativity, flexibility, and risk taking, and that's what leads to innovation. So if you focus on creating those three major elements and other supporting elements that are specific to your particular company and context and your leadership style, that that's the main thing. That's what helps a leader lead instead of manage all the time. So mm. if, if you do that, people will automatically innovate. You don't have to give people, you don't have to push people to innovate. You don't have to take people who are conventional thinkers and try to force them to be innovative. You you you, you get them, you hire people who are already unconventional thinkers or people who may be on the borderline and they can get acclimated to that. But the main thing is to create that culture that leads to innovation and focusing on creativity, innovation, and risk-taking. And how do you create an adaptive and learning culture, um, either within your organization or or within anything, within maybe a committee or um, a nonprofit volunteer opportunity? I guess there are all kinds of ways that you can um, create a culture that's both adaptive and creative. It, the most important thing is to select the right people, and if efforts have been made, reasonable efforts have been made to help people become more unconventional and they have not worked, then those people have to leave. So those are the two first things to get the right people who are either unconventional already and adaptive already. And and if if you so pick the right, have the right people, and then build on that and create support for it. So in that type of environment, the leader's main job is to support people and to set the general direction, obviously, by way of the organization's vision. So our vision is to become, let's say we're a domestic company, we want to become an international company or a global company. Then that's the vision and everything's moving in that way. But the underlying thing is innovation is what's going to get us there. That's what's going to get us into these new markets, that we're able to provide things that our competitors cannot match or even come close to. So, uh, so, so going back to your question, more focused is the the unconventional culture is by nature a learning culture, but you can specifically build that learning and adaptive culture by by helping people see the value of taking risks because when you take risks, sometimes those don't work out. You don't call those mistakes because you don't know if it was going to work or not. A mistake is something that you you knew you're not supposed to do, but it happens. Like you run a red light, you know you're not supposed to, but you did, that's a mistake. When you try something new, you don't know if it's going to work. If it doesn't work, it's not a mistake. It's not a failure. You're not supposed to be able to predict what's going to happen, everything that you do. Basic stuff, yeah, but when you try something new, so if you're always right, you're probably not innovating. If you go to my website and add add, uh, add me on on Twitter, then you'll see I have a whole bunch of tweets about. It. You ever see? You ever hear that guy Jeff Foxworth? He says 
you, if you do this and that, you might be a redneck. Well, I have something similar. I say, if you do this and that, you might be innovating. That's one of them. Or I do it the inverse. And I say, if you're always right, you're probably not innovating. Because if if you're always right, then that means you're not taking any risks. You can't innovate. You can't innovate without taking risks. So if you, if, if some stuff doesn't work out, that can give you a hint that you're probably trying to take risks necessarily to innovate. So that's one of the things I talk about. So being able to take risks and, and adapting is very closely linked together. And that would also be competing outside the box by taking those risks? Right. Well, competing outside the box means a combination of all these things apply at the organization's level. So in other words, they're able to be more innovative. They're able to be more adaptive than the competition. They're able to learn from their mistakes or things that didn't work out. Not only their mistakes and things that didn't work out, but also things that their competition have done. So they're able to learn from that, and they're able to just compete a lot better because they're so much faster at change, innovation, being adaptive. And in some cases, when you really take this to a high degree, then you're the organization that's creating the change. That's the best condition to be of all because mm-hmm. you're the one who's controlling it. You're prepared for it. You're making it happen. Apple is a perfect example of that. Southwest Airlines, even though it's been doing it for a long time, is still a really good example of that. Cirque du Soleil, all these examples of unconventional organizations, they take it to the degree where they're changing their industry, and then they go and they start changing other industries as well. You talked about Richard Branson, his impact on the airline business, cell phone business, music business, et cetera, and the same type of thing with Google in terms of Internet, obviously, but also in terms of smartphones with its Android system and and a lot of other products that they have. So they start expanding on this 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 unconventional thinking and having an unconventional company is so powerful that it's easier for you to make linkages to spread your effect into other industries. So that's the power of this concept. Sounds very powerful to me. Um the uh, the ability to 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 jump outside what everyone else is doing, take some risks, and and see where it lands. Um, sounds very exciting, actually. Yep, and and it's it's not it's not the when you when you talk about it, it's not that hard, but it's hard to do because people are just so stuck in their ways. Just mm-hmm. you can actually see it. Look at how many people you probably know or anybody who's listening who is in business. Tell me what they're probably wearing right now, especially if they're a guy. It's real easy to predict. They're right. wearing some kind of professional attire. They have to. That's the only way that you can demonstrate that you're professional. I have an interesting blog post on my website, competeoutsidethebox.com, that talks about this, that it's it's such a ridiculous notion that the only way that you can go to work is if you wear particular clothes. I can see if you're a police officer, people have to see that you're a police officer, you know, from a distance, or a firefighter. They have to have particular clothes to protect themselves. But to go into an office, you have to wear particular clothes so that people will think that you're a professional. I mean, that's just so juvenile. I can't believe anyone actually buys into this. Even something as silly as that or as easy to think about, people resist. No, no, you can't go to a job interview like that. That's when I do job interviews, I want to have people come dressed exactly as they would anywhere, any you know, when, when they're not at work. I want to know 
I want to know the real person. I don't want to have someone who gets all fake looking just for me. If you think about, look at the people who, who, who use clothing to make you try to make you think that they are credible, trustworthy experts. Think about all the people who have been arrested or who have screwed up the U.S. economy. Bernie Madoff, uh, the, the, all these Wall Street guys, just, I forget all their names. There's so many of them. Now over in, in, in London, the CEO of one of the big banks there had to resign for in this whole thing with the LIBOR rate. So all these types of situations where people, all the politicians, they wear suits, lawyers wear suits, gangsters, <laughs> when they want to look when they want to look like respectable people, what do they do? Put on a suit. I mean, how can anyone buy into this crap? I don't understand. And, yeah, then, a... and, then, and then people were getting all upset because this is a this is a this is a prairie example of how ridiculous people can be in terms of being open but close minded to change. This guy, uh Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg, guy who created Facebook that everybody uses, including the people who are on uh, people on Wall Street he goes on his little show, uh, road show to promote his IPO for his company, and this guy doesn't wear a suit. You know why? Why should he wear a suit? He created a company that's worth billions and billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars, and these people are getting their little feathers ruffled just because he didn't wear a suit. Who gives a crap if he wore a suit? He started this company. All I care about if I'm buying these securities is that I make money. That's all That's all these people at Wall Street care about, is making money. And if they get all upset because he wore a hoodie, oh, he wore a hoodie, how disrespectful. I'm like, here's what's disrespectful. You people screwed up the U.S. economy there, so that's, what, that's what's disrespectful and unprofessional. But no, well, since the guy has a suit, he must be pretty professional. So I'm sorry I went on that tirade, but it's just, <laughs> it's just it's such a silly thing. And people hold on so tightly to this idea that I almost always have to talk about it. It's true. It's very true. Um, I myself am a lawyer, and um, I can't imagine, you know, going anywhere that's lawyer-related without a suit on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's uncomfortable, especially in Florida and <laughs> in all the heat in the summer. <laughs> yeah. You sort of want to avoid it. But, but there is this pretension that, that people – have about the way they look and the what they think it 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 tells others about themselves and really professionalism professionalism is what you do it's how you behave it's not how you look it's saying what you're going to do doing what you said you were going to do and doing it right no excuses that's professional so that's that's what i focus on that's uh, and people just get so stuck on this whole look thing i mean i just I, I just I, I, I don't know, but you 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 you're explaining some reasons for it. They're just not good reasons to continue doing it. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, just the one last thing here to talk about. Um, how should we or can we in political correctness, which we just kind of talked about, political correctness is wearing a suit or looking a certain way, and really communicate with each other. Well, political correctness is a little different. It's this idea that people have somehow gotten themselves to believe that they have a right to never be offended by what other people say. That is what political correctness is all about. So it imposes on other people 
the responsibility to say things that other people might not like. So think about how absurd that is. Now I have to restrict my free speech because you might not like it. Instead of you having to adapt to other people's ideas, you want other people to adapt to you. So that's the absurdity of of political correctness because it restricts free speech. Now what does this have to do with unconventional leadership and creating or unconventional innovative organizations. Organization is that for you to innovate, you have to talk. You have to freely talk and have the, the, the freedom to express what you think. And if other people don't like it, they have to just accept it. I mean, it's common sense. You, you can't have free speech in a society or in a company if you don't expect that sometimes people are going to say things you don't like. You just have to accept it because you can't have free speech for everybody and everything except the things that you don't like. That's stuff you can't talk about. That's just not the way it works in an adult world. I can understand with little kids. They don't understand. They can get hurt by words. But when you're an adult, you should be able to understand that words do not hurt you and people should be able to express their opinions in in discussions and things that are work-related that are different than they can say what they really think. So sometimes you hear people say things like, well, tell me what you really think. So it's become so common for people to restrict what they say that they don't really say what they think. So when they encounter someone like me who says what he actually thinks, it's like a shock. It's not normal. It's not supposed to happen. And that's why they say, oh, tell me what you really think, because you're not supposed to, which is idiotic. <laughs> you mm-hmm. so, for you to have an organization that's innovative, you've got to have free speech. You've got to have a free exchange of ideas. And you've got to have people who have thick skin, who can have a debate, disagree, and still be able to work together and not resent each other because he said something I don't like. That's childish. Or he said something that I find offensive, etc. So I think that's a very important thing for an organization to be able to dis- openly discuss and to have conflict. It's abnormal for an organization to for for an innovative organization to not have conflict. People have emotions. That is part of the human experience. That is part of humanity. People get pissed off sometimes. And people argue sometimes and they butt heads sometimes. If you have an organization where that doesn't happen because you've deemed it unprofessional, then there's something wrong. You cannot innovate in that kind of environment. You've got to have some conflict. I'm not saying people beating each other over the head and cursing each other out. I'm saying to openly disagree, openly debate, sometimes have a heated argument. A little shouting is not going to kill anybody if it happens occasionally and if it leads to better ideas better processes, et cetera. That's normal. That is normal, and that is not unprofessional. The term unprofessional has has also been deformed to mean anything that management or other people don't want to deal with. You don't want to deal with any arguments. You say it's unprofessional, and now people have some kind of a social pressure not to do it. But in the in the process of doing that, you have an artificially peaceful place because no one's talking about anything that matters and you don't innovate. You don't even discuss things that need to be changed 
because it might lead to a, an argument or a debate. And, oh, my mm-hmm. God, that's not professional. We can't do that. Oh, my goodness. So a lot of things that, is, that are deemed unprofessional are just things that are a function of laziness. You just don't want to deal with it. You call it unprofessional, but you pay a high price for that. Or things that you call professional, you also pay a high price for that. The dress code is one of those. Well, this has been a great conversation. Um, I just wanted to to stop you. We only have about two minutes left um, out of the show today. Um, And I wanted to thank you for all this information. It's really been eye-opening to to think in a different way and and to to think think differently than we um, are put into positions every day to think. Um, So, um, everyone, my guest today was Eric J. Romero, Ph.D. He's the author of Compete Outside the Box, the and unconventional website too. Compete the outside the box.com. Yep. Okay, right. Compete outside the is his website. And it's a great website. I visited it I visited it right before the show as well as a couple of weeks ago and enjoyed all the information. So Eric, I'd like to thank you for um for sharing all your insights and your expertise with us today. It's been very eye opening. All right, thanks for having me on. Absolutely, thank you. Bye. And for the success design with Beth Shankle Anderson, this is, of course, Beth signing off. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.